Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning, everybody. Excuse me. Um, just to add my, my one quick word, uh, as, as Pastor Tom was talking there, I was reminded of one of the things that a, a tour group leader that I was once on, or a trip leader once said to me, he said, uh, as we were going about a bunch of different things, he said, you guys are not tourists, you're investments. And what he meant was this, anytime God gives us the opportunity to engage in mission, to engage purposefully, which is, by the way, every day, uh, but when we do that, we're not just tourists looking to see what's there for us. We're, we're looking to see, God, what would you have us be about? What would you have us do? And that's a great reminder for them as they go, but it's also a great reminder for us as we engage our world and our communities this summer as we travel. And many, many of you I know with the 4th of July weekend coming next week are possibly headed somewhere. Uh, welcome to West Michigan where we like the beaches and we like time with family and that is an awesome thing. And some of you even have family coming in and that's an awesome thing too. So uh, remember, we're investments that God uses, um, that God uses to further his kingdom. Um, I would like to invite you to, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, okay? The book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is where we're going to land today. And while you're doing that, uh, if you need to know where Jonah is, frankly, I get lost every time I head towards Jonah and I have to sing the Bible like in order song that I learned when I was like in seventh grade or whatever to get there. If you need help with that, just go to your contents and find Jonah. I just marked it because that's smart for me today. Um, but as you turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, <clears throat> I want to share a couple things with you that were going on here this last week uh, within the place in the uh, facilities here at first. This last week we had, uh, in addition to our normal weekly stuff, which included like a Red Cross blood drive and things like that, we had an art camp. And the art camp was for second or two-year-olds through first grade participants. And we had 38 kiddos um, around here engaging in the creative arts this week and celebrating and discovering God's gift of joy. And so we were creating, we were crafting, we were singing, we were painting, we were serving one another. We were doing lessons and building relationships. You know, photos kind of like this. Uh, love, love seeing all the work that these kids are doing. Photos like this where they're engaged in amazing things and works of art. Uh, ones like this. Wow, I, didn't, I missed this. Apparently they were doing stuff on the, uh, on the fencing there. Very cool. And then, um, you know, just more kids engaging in the amazing gifts that God has given them. And who doesn't love a photo like that, right? Um, um, that is just so, so cool. Um, so we had an amazing week as we, uh, along with um, 24 adult and student helpers. And that is just amazing. Okay, so we had 38 kids here. We had 24 adult and student helpers, which does not count church staff, who helped engage these kids with the truth of Jesus and the beauty and the art and the snacks and all these things that um, went on this week. And I just want to say thank you to all those people who were involved. We had young and old alike serving, helping herd kids into the places they needed to go and keeping them engaged. And I am just 
just so, so thankful for such an amazing week. Um, later in the month of July, um, July 20 and 22, we're going to be having an art camp for the second grade through middle school. And so if you want more information on that, if you have a kid or a grandkid or a neighbor kid um, and you want to know more about that or sign them up, you can do that on our website. It's super easy to find in the events page. So thank you, thank you so much. Can we just give those leaders and kids a hand? Yes. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for doing that. Um, we are in a series uh, on God's names for the month of... July or June, July, and August, this summer, we're going to be looking at different names of God. Today, we're looking at um, Jehovah or Yahweh Shema, which means the Lord is there. And there's an amazing book that has been a great resource to me. And we've actually, one of our teachers has used it on Wednesday nights with our, with our pre-K age, and it's called God's Names by Sally Michael. So if you have young kids and that would be helpful, or if you engage with young kids or grandkids, this goes through several names of God in the biblical stories that talk about what these names mean, because they're, they're not just names. Names are part of who God is and a part of how we understand how God relates and interacts with us. This is an amazing book. I just commend it to you. Uh, a lot of the names, in fact, I think all the names that we're going to be walking through this summer come from this book. And we're all taking different takes on them, you know, finding um, where they are in the text. And so what story is in the book may not be the story that we engage with, like today, um, but it's a fantastic resource for you if you would like to learn more and engage more, not just learn, but engage more with who God is and what does that mean for us. So we are looking at Yahweh Shema today, or Jehovah Shema. We looked at the difference between Yahweh and Jehovah last week, and it simply means this, the Lord is there. Now, there's two ways that we could look at this, um, we could look at this name. Um, one of the ways that we could look at this name is through a story that some of you might be familiar with. There's a guy by the name of Joshua, for example, who is, who is given um, authority and commissioned by God to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And so they're going to have to go in and they're going to have to uh, do some really hard things to, to take the land. That's part of God's promise to them. And God promises he'll be with them. But Jonah is faced with leading a million plus group of people, um, some of whom are not the easiest people to lead. And Jonah is, is meeting with God in the first chapter of the book of, uh, not Jonah, um, Joshua, is meeting with God in the first chapter of the book of Joshua. And God says, be strong and courageous because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, God's reminding him that even though you're about to face really tough times, don't give up, I am with you. And that will preach, like that will really preach whatever you're facing this week. God is with you. If you're facing health challenges, if you're facing work challenges, if you're facing just, just an insurmountable amount of stuff, I remind you, God is with you. That will preach. God is with his people. But that's not what we're going to look at specifically today. Instead, we are going to look at the book of Jonah, which talks about God being with us in a slightly different um, way. And so today we are going to look at this name specifically from the perspective of a father, a follower of Yahweh who doesn't really want to follow Yahweh's commands. All right. Th this is, this is kind of like the Christian who says, yeah, God, I hear you. I'm not going to do that. That's Jonah. And there's a whole lot that, that Jonah uh, engages with God about. So would you pray with me? And then let's dive into our study. Our Father and our King, we are so grateful to be here this morning. 
whether we're gathering in person or we're gathering online or we're hearing this later in the week, God, you know exactly what we face today. And God, we can trust that you are with us. Your word reminds us of that. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God, would you show us today what it means to be your followers? Would you show us today what it means to put Jesus first in all that we do? We pray for your honor and for your glory. Amen. So I hope you're in the book of Jonah. We're not going to stand for reading because we're going to do a whole book in one morning, and now you're scared. But it's okay. You don't have to be. Uh, We are going to briefly go through this book, and I want to point a couple of highlights out. And we're going to begin with this question. How far would you go to get away from God? How far would you go to get away from God? And you're like, why is a pastor asking me that question? Well, Jonah tries, uh, albeit unsuccessfully, to get away from God. And I want you to notice how far he goes to try to get away from God. In the midst of Jonah trying to get away from God, sometimes we take the book of Jonah and we say it's about a prophet named Jonah, Yonah in Hebrew. Or we might say it's about this really big fish. Some people say whale, the Hebrew says fish. We'll agree to disagree. It's not primarily a book about Jonah. It's not primarily a book about a fish. It's primarily a book about God and his relentless pursuit of people. And these people include two different groups. They include Jonah, disobedient prophet, and the Ninevites. Very, very wicked people. This is God's picture of how he loves people. God will pursue Nineveh, and God will pursue Jonah. So let's look and see how far Jonah goes to get away from God. Look with me, please, at the first four verses of the book of Jonah. It says in the Word of God here, and often we stand for the reading of Scripture. We're going to remain seated today because we're going to be in and out of different places, but remain seated, but recognize this is the Word of God. In verse 1 of the book of Jonah, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the Lord's presence. And so even in these first three verses, we've noticed something. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh. Why? Because they're wicked. And I want you to tell them you're wicked. You're following things that are not God. Repent, repent, receive the mercy that comes only from me. However, verse 3 notes that Jonah got up. Okay, so God said in verse 2, get up, and Jonah got up, but he didn't go exactly the way God wanted him to. He got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Okay, what Jonah's trying to do is he's trying to get away from God in layman's simple terms. He's trying to get away from God. And so he says, the text says, he he went down to Joppa and he found a ship and he paid the fare and he went down into it. And you see this, this phrase several times in this first chapter where Jonah is going to go down and he's going to go down and he's going to go down because he's trying to get away from God. He's trying to get away from God. Now, a couple things you need to know about Jonah. 
Jonah was the son of Amittai, says that in verse 1. He's a prophet of the Lord. Now, the role of a prophet is to speak for God. A role of a prophet, God is to be the person whom God comes to and says, hey, prophet, I want you to go say this, and then they go say this. So here we have Jonah, a prophet, who's not doing his job. All right? He, he's derelict in his duty, if you will. And Jonah, though, is a very important person. He, he serves in the court of Jeroboam II. All right? Jeroboam II is the longest and the greatest reigning king of the northern kingdom. And Jonah is also what, what you might call a nationalist. He's been told by God, and we find this in another portion of Scripture, that God comes to him and he says, you know, Jonah, I'm going to restore Israel's border. And so Jonah's looking forward to a time when his people have the promises in full that God has given them. And so he's thinking, Israel's good, and why would I go to Nineveh? Now, Nineveh is really important too, because at the time at which Jonah is living, um, a nation named Assyria, of which Nineveh was one of the cities, was attempting to get to Egypt. And you're like, what does Israel have to do with this? Um, to get to Egypt, you have to go through Israel. They're at this important portion of land where you, you can't get down to all the goods of Egypt and all the amazing bounty and grain and stuff that is grown in Egypt without going through Israel. And so Assyria would come through Israel and they would plunder Israel on their way to Egypt to try and secure what they wanted. Nineveh at this time, and in the couple 150 years or so after the time of Jonah, you could describe it this way. They were utterly wicked and they were very powerful. Now, the, the height of the city of Nineveh is not as strong as it will be maybe 100, 150 years after the time of Jonah, but it was one of the most brutal, powerful, and idolatrous empires in the ancient world. So the writing of Jonah is likely taking place in 800 to 750 BCE. If you, if you care about dates, that's kind of where we're landed here. So Israel has not been yet, the northern tribes have not been taken into exile yet, and Nineveh is going to fall as a city. It's going to, it's going to be taken out in 612. So this is a high point in the life of Nineveh, but check out how God describes Nineveh in the scripture. In the prophet Nahum, it says this, the Lord has issued an order concerning you. There will be no offspring to carry on your name. He's talking about Nineveh here. He's proclaiming against Nineveh. God says, I will eliminate the carved idol and the cast image from the house of your gods. I will prepare your grave for you are contemptible. All right, that's how God feels about Nineveh. And I need you to see who Nineveh is because it factors into this story. A couple chapters later, God says this about Nineveh. He says, woe to the city of blood. That's Nineveh. Totally deceitful, full of plunder, never without prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and jolting chariot, charging horsemen, flashing sword, shining speared, heaps of slain, mounds of corpses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over their dead. That's Nineveh. That's what they do to the people in their way. Because of the continual prostitution, God says, of the prostitute, the attractive mistress of sorcery who betrays nations by her prostitution and clans by her witchcraft, God says, so I am against you. 
So if you have an idea now about how God looks at Nineveh, God, God looks at Nineveh as a very, very wicked, very, very wicked place. This is not a place where you would go for a fun family weekend. This is a nation that you would stay away from because they plunder and pillage and harm everything in their path. And they've got the power to do it. So enter Jonah. He's a prophet of the Lord. He lives in Israel. And this nation comes through and they're warring against his people. It would be like an incredibly powerful nation coming through the heart of the United States and just taking it out for everything it's worth. And it's visible, and you see it, and you feel it. And it's these people that God says, Jonah, I want you to go, and I want you to share my word with them. All right? It'd be like, think of like post-2001 with 9-11. It would be like saying, all right, prophet, I want you now to go over to the Middle East and I want you to preach to all the terrorist groups and all the people who have been engaged with bringing down the towers. Oh, and by the way, it'd be like God going to a person who was there when that happened. So they're scarred and they're hurt and they're broken by what they have seen around them. And Jonah's basically saying, God, you want me to go there to them? Can you imagine going to your worst enemy? If you have one, I don't know that you do, but if you have one, imagine going to your worst enemy and God has sent you to them to share a word from him. That's what he's asking Jonah to do. And Jonah doesn't do it. Um, he does not do it. Now let me show you where Jonah goes instead. So you'll see in the bottom of bottom left-hand side, you have the nation of Israel, okay? You've got, if you can see it from there, you've got a place called Gath Hefer, or Gath Hefer. It's in the bottom lower left-hand side of your screen. That is the city where Jonah is from. So God calls to him, and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, I want you to see where Nineveh is. Nineveh is way up in the top right-hand corner. I circled it, or I had Paul circle it in red for you. That's where he's going. He's making a several hundred-mile journey, likely by foot, to go preach to Nineveh. That's where he's headed. But that's not where he goes. That, that's where God wants him to go, but that's not where he goes. Instead, the text says that he goes down. He goes down to Joppa. Now, Joppa is an important um, port city on the lower left-hand side of your screen. You can see the little boat there out in the water. And you can see, you know, Ashdod, which has been in the news recently for some various things, um, is just a little bit south of that. And this is not like a huge area. Um, but so Jonah goes down to Joppa, which is a place that would receive a lot of boats. And where he is headed is a place called Tarshish, okay? So in this map, I want you to see the black box in kind of the just center right of your screen. That's the land of Israel, okay? Now, here's where he's supposed to go, Tarshish. Or that's not where he's supposed to go. That's where Jonah goes. Where is he supposed to go? Jonah's supposed to go over here. Where does he go? Way, way over here. We're looking at a 2,000-mile-plus journey that Jonah sets on because he doesn't want to go where God sent him. This alone should show you where Jonah's heart is at because you don't just board a boat. The, the text actually says that he pays the fare and he goes down with them to go to Tarshish. 
Now, to pay the fare, one way you could translate that is that Jonah hired the boat, all right? Tarshish is a place that's so far away. We know from another place in Scripture, from the book of 1 Kings, that once every three years, uh, Kings says, the fleet of ships from Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Why peacocks? I have no idea. Um, but they would bring those things from the southern part of what is now Spain. And they would only pop up about every three years. Well, one of them happens to be there. Jonah not only pays his ticket, I think probably the best way to translate that is that Jonah had enough wealth because he was a part of Jeroboam's court that he said, hey, I want to hire your ship. Here is all the money you need. Let's go. Why? Because he doesn't want to go there. So naturally, he goes in the exact opposite way. That's the height of stubborn unhearing, not obeying that Jonah is engaging in here. He takes, um, he charges a boat to take him the furthest place to go from where God called him. Now, I want to ask you this question because we're talking about the name Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. So as we read for a couple more verses, I want you to ask this question, where is God? Where is God? Okay, just ask yourself that question silently. Where is God? The end of verse three he goes from the Lord's presence. Verse 4. Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, lowercase g. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Um, I don't know if you've ever been boating. Um, years ago, my, my pastor growing up was a, was a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain, all right? He loved to sail. He had done like um, California to Hawaii and all sorts of stuff. And we went sailing with him and his family. He's an amazing boatsman. And we went down in the Florida Keys. And on the way back from that vacation, we got stuck in a tropical storm. And, you know, what was like eight miles per hour, you know, headed down south to the Florida Keys. And I was like, as, as a teenage boy, I was like, oh, this thing is going so slow. On the way back, we were not going slow. I went down below deck simply because I did not want to lose my lunch. <laughs> and we were flying back. Imagine the worst boat ride. If you've been on a boat ride, you could imagine. This is what happens because there's a huge wind that God sends on the sea. Even the sailors are scared. <laughs> All right, if a sailor gets scared and you're not a sailor, it's good for you to start being nervous. But Jonah, notice, he goes down to the lowest part of the vessel, stretched out, and he had fallen into a deep sleep. So the captain comes to him and he says, what are you doing? Sound asleep. Get up, call to your God, right? They, they've already been throwing over ship's cargo. They want to lighten the load. They're looking to preserve their life at all costs. And here's Jonah sleeping. And they're like, man, would you help us out? Like, we're calling out to our gods, lowercase g. Why don't you call out to your God as well? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. And verse 7 says, come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. This was a typical way of deciding things in the ancient time. So they cast lots and the lots singled out Jonah. And they said to him, Hey, who's to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? What people are you from? All right, so everything's going badly. And they say, Jonah, we've determined it's your fault. What's going on? Give us the scoop. 
Verse 9 here. He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, okay, so Jonah says a couple things very important. I worship Yahweh. Well, that could be a little bit debatable right now because he's going in a place where God didn't tell him to go. He's trying to get away from God, but he's tying himself to God. All right, he's going away. And then he says, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Now, if you're on a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and you're trying to just like stay alive, to know someone who knows the God of the sea, that's kind of an important thing right? If he, if he says, I, he's the God, but he's not the God of the sea, they'd be like, well, he can't help us out, because different gods govern different things. But for Jonah, he recognizes God's God of the sea. I'm just going a different way. So in the midst of this, they say, they're even more afraid, it says in verse 10, and they says, what, if this, what is this you've done? Because the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence, because he told them. So he said to them, what should we do to calm the sea that is against us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. All right, Jonah's at the end of his rope, and he says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, so that it may quiet down for you, for I know that I am to blame for this violent storm that is against you. Jonah knows this is his fault. He knows this is God's presence with him with a great, powerful storm. And yet, Jonah's like, throw me in. I don't care. He's reached a point of despondency, a point of wanting to run away from God that is so strong, he would rather die in the sea than do what God said. And notice how righteous the sailors are here because they don't want to throw him into the sea. They're like, no, we're not going to do that. Finally, they relent. And there's some amazing things that happen here. Um, like, when it, when it says in verse 14, it says, so they called out to the Lord. Now, before they'd been talking about gods, they'd been crying out to their gods. Notice what it says there. They cried out to the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the covenantal name of God. They see God in a different way than Jonah, the prophet of God, sees God. They're worshiping God because it says this, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. Yahweh, you have done as you pleased. And so they're saying, all right, there's nothing else we can do. Here's what the prophet has said. Here's what we will do. But Yahweh, we are worshiping you. It says in verse 16, the men feared the Lord. It's the same word that's used to describe how Jonah worships God in verse 9. The men feared the Lord even more. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. So here's this rogue prophet who's trying to get away from God. He says, throw me into the sea. And finally his shipmates relent and they say, okay, we'll throw you into the sea. And they say, God, please don't hold this against us. But in the midst of that, they show greater faith and greater love for life than even Jonah does. So verse 17 says that the Lord appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. All right, th th this is where we tend to camp out a lot in this book, but that's part of the story. Here, by the way, is an aerial view of the Joppa Harbor. Lots of things coming in. I forgot to show it to you. This is a boat, perhaps similar to around the size that may be going on in that area. All right, here we go. We'll save that one for later. So we have um, Jonah trying to go down and getting away from the Lord's presence, and he, that's all that happens. Jonah's life is at stake, and in verse 1 of chapter 2, we find out that Jonah prays to the Lord his God from inside the fish. 
And he has a great prayer. You know, I called to the Lord in my distress. He answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol, also in the belly of a whale. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the sea. He recognizes what God is doing here. Look at verse 7 really quickly. Verse 7 says, as my life was fading away, all right, as my life was fading away, three days, three nights in the belly of a fish, as my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice, which is an act of worship to you, with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. So in the midst of this experience that God sets him upon, it does what God intends it to do. It awakens Jonah, albeit through a very different set of circumstances. It awakens Jonah to his disobedience. His dire state is caused by his disobedience, and he remembers Yahweh. And so in verse 10, we find that the Lord commands the fish now. So he commands the storm, he commands the wind. Now he commands the fish to vomit Jonah up on dry land. Now, this seems to be sometimes a punishment. Like, God, why would you punish Jonah, right? Why would you punish Jonah? Don't you know these people have been incredibly wicked towards him and his people? Don't you know these people are far from you? Don't you know they don't honor you? But the heart of God is much bigger than we often give credit for. God not only cares about Jonah and his obedience, he also cares about the Ninevites and their obedience. He cares about their spiritual walk with him. The Lord disciplines Jonah. And it reminds me, Pastor Tom and I were talking this week, and the verse that came to, to, to mind as we were talking was Hebrews chapter 12, where it says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines those who are his children. When God sets about to discipline one of his kids, he has the long-term benefit of his children in mind. And that's in part what's going on here. He has the long-term benefit not only for Nineveh, but also for Jonah. So Jonah finally relents. He goes to Nineveh. Chapter 3, we see the word of the Lord. Again, comes to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah gets up. He goes to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, the amazing thing about this um, this sermon is it's probably the shortest sermon. It's five words in Hebrew. It's a little bit more in English, but it's five words in Hebrew. And this is what he preaches to the city. Now, uh, I want to show you, he, here's kind of a reconstruction of what the ancient city of Nineveh would have looked like at this time. Um, while I was doing some research and some study this week, I also came across a video. And the video was put together by a gentleman who grew up in Nineveh, lives in Europe right now, and he graciously allowed me to play this for you. So I, I want to play this. There's no sound. I'm going to talk. But what you're going to see is a picture uh, in just a minute. What you're going to see is a picture of what Nineveh would have looked like maybe about 150 years after the time of Jonah. So it's a little bit more prestigious in this rendering. But this is a, an artist's rendering of what the city of Nineveh would have looked like. Ephraim, if you have that, why don't you go ahead and hit play, and I'll keep talking, and you guys can watch this. This is a couple minutes long, uh, and you can kind of see the city that Jonah would have been going to. Jonah is headed to Nineveh to preach a five-word sermon. The five-word sermon is this, another 40 days, and Nineveh will be demolished. So imagine Jonah is going to this city. You can see the 
huge tower there. You can see some of the palaces. You can see the Euphrates River coming through it. In its height, this was an incredible city filled with culture, filled with all sorts of engaging of the arts. At its height, there was the shining and flashing of shields and swords. There was great military might here. There's administration buildings that are going on through here. Jonah's going through this city, 100 years or so before this rendering would have been recorded. He's going through the city, and he's saying, repent. Repent, because in 40 days, all that you see around you will be destroyed. That is the word of the Lord. Now, Jonah's obeying the command of God. He's preaching the message God has told him to give. And as he goes through this amazing city, this result is phenomenal. It's something that only God could do, especially with a very stubborn prophet. We find out in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, that the men of Nineveh, they believed in God, even the king of Nineveh. And the king of Nineveh calls for a, um, a repentance of sackcloth, uh, wearing sackcloth and fasting. And he says this in verse 9, perhaps God will relent and not destroy us. He says it this way, who knows, God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. This is a king who knows the wickedness of his city. He knows the wickedness that he himself has engaged in. Amidst all this glory, amidst all this status and honor, he knows that deep down they are a people far from Yahweh. And yet Yahweh has come to them. Yahweh has come to them. Yahweh has been with his prophet Jonah to say, relent, return, repent of your sin, and come trust me. Now you can black that out, Ephraim. Thank you. God saw their actions, it says in verse 10, and that they had turned from their evil ways, and it says that God relented from the disaster. They relented from the moral depravity the wicked way, and the morally depraved, oppressive force that they had engaged with for so long. Now, what does this tell us about God, right? This isn't just a story about a stubborn prophet, although it is. What does this tell us about God? Well, it tells us many things, but one of the important things is that no one is beyond his grace, not the Ninevites, and certainly not Jonah. He didn't have to rescue Jonah, but he does. He didn't have to still use Jonah after Jonah literally went as far as he possibly could away from God, but he does. He doesn't have to go to a wicked people who already know their wickedness, but he does. Why? Because God loves them. God has a deep heart for his people, and he wants to be with them. In fact, he's, he's always near them, but he wants them to turn and to relent and to repent from their wicked way and to follow and be in a relationship with him. And Jonah gets mad at God because of this. In fact, Jonah knows that this is coming. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, but Jonah was greatly displeased and he became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, covenantal name of God right there, Yahweh, please, Yahweh, isn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful all right, merciful is an important word. It means that there's favor given to the undeserving. Jonah says, I know that you give grace to people who don't deserve it. I know that you are a compassionate God. 
The word for compassion here can have the picture of a mother's love towards her nursing child. You know, this tenderness and compassion and care, a picture that you would do almost anything for this little one. He says, I know that you are merciful. I know that you're compassionate. I know that you're slow to becoming angry. In other words, you're really patient with people who are definitely not always walking in the right path. And I knew that you were rich in faithful love and you're one who relents from sending disaster. How does Jonah know this about God? This phrase pops up several times in the Bible. One of the times it pops up that is of significance is in Exodus when um, Israel has just come off of Mount Sinai, and, or they haven't come off of Mount Sinai. Moses is up in Mount Sinai. Israel's down at the bottom. They make this calf, and they engage in idolatry and in worship of a, of a, of a false god while they're at the mountain of the Lord. They're like, we want a God we can see. And God, in his mercy, comes to them, and he says, I'm not going to destroy you for this. I have compassion. This is part of who I am. This is part of who I am. I'm a God who's there. I'm a God with compassion. I'm a God who is merciful, slow to becoming angry. Jonah says in verse 3 of chapter 4, And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And this conversation begins with him and God again, because Jonah's vision for people is different than God's. The Lord says in verse 4, Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry that I want to save people who are lost? And Jonah basically says, yes, it is. <laughs> Don't you know what they've done? And as Jonah says that, as Jonah wallows in his own pity, really for Jonah, his life is more about himself than it is about what God has him there to do and who God has made him to be in the culture around him. As Jonah sought to get away from God, we see God persistently pursue him so that the hearts of the Ninevites might change and so that Jonah's heart might be changed. Because even though Jonah has a relationship with Yahweh, we, we see that clearly. He has a relationship with Yahweh. He's a stubborn prophet who, who doesn't have Yahweh's heart perfectly. He's one who wants to be judge and jury in the midst of a very fallen and broken world when God alone is judge, especially over the world. And Jonah has experienced the incredible favor and mercy of God, but he doesn't want to extend it to people who are different from him. In the last couple of verses of this, God has more to teach Jonah. God gives a plant. He causes a plant to grow. And you're like, what's the big deal about a plant? If you've traveled in the ancient, or if you've traveled in, in the lands of the Bible, um, the sun can be really intense. Uh, years ago when my wife were in Israel, I remember being in the southern portion of Israel, it was 110 to 120 with a full beating sun all the time we were there. So just imagine, you know, the, the scripture says that there's a scorching wind. Imagine the hottest sun you can think of just beating down on you. By the end of the trip when we were there, if, if there'd be like a small petal of a leaf, we would try to huddle underneath the small petal because we just wanted some shade. We wanted some relief. Jonah goes out, outside the city to see maybe God will destroy the city after 40 days. He doesn't think it will happen, but he goes out to see. God appoints this plant to provide shade and to ease Jonas' comfort. And then he gives the plant 
a worm. So Jonah's really happy that there's this plant here to give him shade, and then God attacks it with a worm, and it withers. And Jonah gets hot about this, all right? There's a scorching east wind. The sun is rising, verse 8. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. It's like fish part two, just without the fish. Uh, He says, in fact, it's better for me to die than to live. And then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he says, yes. He replied, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. And what's kind of sobering about the book of Jonah is that God has the last word, and I want you to notice what God says. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant. Okay, you cared about the plant. You cared about a plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, he says, should I not care about the great city of Nineveh? which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left. That's a metaphor to mean they don't know what it means to walk after me, as well as many animals. So Jonah is more concerned about his personal comfort than obeying God and proclaiming God's message of love and forgiveness to a wicked people. I think one of the things God wants to teach Jonah is, number one, you cannot get away from me. Even if you go to Tarshish, you won't get away from me. But number two, Jonah, I want you to understand how much I dearly love people. Which means there's going to be people in your life and in mine, Jonah, that are going to be tough to love. But don't they deserve the good news as well? I mean, they don't deserve it, but neither did we. (laughs) Right? That's the message that Jonah is called to take. So how do we apply this, all right? The Lord is there, Yahweh Shema. Remember, everywhere we go in life, God is with us, all right? When you go to work and you engage in business, guess what? God is with you. He knows how you act. He knows whether you're acting justly or whether you're not. When God is in your home, he knows how you act. God is with you. When, when you're with people, in your life, people who are followers of Jesus, people who are far from God, he knows how you act. One of the things he tells Jonah, and one of the things that's instructive for us, is that it is God's desire for all people to come to repentance. Now, God does not force that upon people. He doesn't force them, but he wants them to hear. And that's part of our job as followers of Jesus is to make the message heard. Not the message of Not the message solely of condemnation. I mean, without Christ, we are all condemned. We are all in sin. But the message of, you know what? You're going away from God, but you know what? God wants to walk with you, and God wants to redeem your life, and God wants to bring newness and hope and mercy to you. Will you repent of your sin and follow Jesus? Sometimes we can have that conversation really bluntly. Other times we have to walk with people for a time so that they know that they're just not a project, but that we actually care about them because God clearly cares about the Ninevites. Have you ever tried to run away from God? Have you ever tried to run away from God? Sometimes we use drugs or we use alcohol to numb our senses to our reality. You know, God cares about the gathering of his people here on a Sunday morning, but you know what God also cares about? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> Monday. Well, he cares about tonight, too. 
as you go out into your week, God has given you a message to live with your life and to share with your lips as God gives you and I the opportunity. Every moment that we live is holy. Every single moment. And that should not bring an extra weight to our life. It should remind us that if our moments in our lives are set to be holy before the Lord, the only way we can do that is to walk with God. We can't just make ourselves better. It's something God wants to do in us. It's something that God has begun a work in us if we're followers of Jesus. Have you ever tried to run away from God? You know, it struck me this week, sometimes we go great lengths to try to run away from God. We, we might go to a different city. We might try to, a different path. We know God doesn't want us to do that, but we might engage in it. But sometimes we can run away from God without even taking a step. Sometimes you and I, we can run away from God without even taking a step because in our hearts we've said, God, I don't want to do what you've called me to do. I don't want to engage in what you have called me to engage in. God, I don't want to love that person whom you dearly love. Sometimes you can run from God without taking a step. The right posture, though, is to recognize God I know that you are here. God, you're always here. You always hear me, whether in the bottom of a fish like Jonah, whether on the side of a, um, a boat, whether in a cubicle at work, whether in your bed at night. God, you always are here. You always hear me. And to simply say, God, here I am. I want to be fully present for the work you want to do in me today. I want to invite our worship team to come forward. And I want to pray for us today. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to practice your presence this week. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there, is both an incredible comfort, but a great reminder, God, that you call us to certain things in this life, and sometimes we don't want to do them. Sometimes we go kicking and screaming. Sometimes we go bitter and disgruntled. And God, would you forgive us for not willingly embracing your call in our life? And God, some of us today may even be struggling with, God, what is your call on my life? God, through the work of your spirit, would you confirm in our hearts and through your word and through godly people around us what it means to follow Jesus today. God, we know that we're not going to fully arrive tomorrow, but would you help us to make that next right step, that next thing in keeping with your truth that would further your kingdom here in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.